Hey guys, what's up? It's another week of Find Your Film. I'm really psyched this week because we are. this is the week when we do director spotlights. This episode is not a director spotlight, but this is the day that we do Double Duty, Double Duty Podcast. The first podcast is our weekly podcast where me, Bruce Perky, Bruce Perky O, the story of Perky. That's interesting. I'm I'm referencing our YouTube channel, which is Rusto Meyer, R-U-S-T-O-M-I-R-E. That is headed up by Bruce Perky, Perky O, the story of Perky. He he actually uploads our podcast video style on his Rusto Meyer YouTube channel. Check it out. And of course, oh boy. Um, I'm looking at, at I'm looking at names again from our YouTube thing. Eric Holmes has decided the audacity. By the way, I'm such a horrible podcast editor. <laughs> I love audacity. I love audacity. That's the only thing I can actually edit on audacity. I'm sure. But you, Eric 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 Holmes, you have the audacity to call yourself <laughs> Eric Sorkin. That's like me calling <laughs> myself Greg the Dragon Lee Srisavasti. E.E. Srizavasi, that's horrific. That is in reference. I'm not even going to, I'm just going to spoil it right now. Eric it could have been Sorkin. Bruce, it, Bruce Porkin. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Sorkin, a.k.a. Eric Holmes. This is in reference to the trial of the Chicago 7. You got to check out our, our, there is a gorilla right next to Bruce Perky. who just, uh. he just waved. He just came in there. He just came in, folks. You got to check out the videos on Russell Meyer's YouTube channel. I was a little bit scared. There was... Was it Bruce Perky? Was that a gorilla or an ape? I'm not good with the animals. Or is it just a primate? Primate? Are we primates? Was it a chimpanzee? What was it, Bruce? What was behind you? I didn't see anything. What, what, what are you talking about? Eric Sorkin. You're the writer. You're the natural writer. What was behind Bruce Perky as uh, the shadow like descended? A, what was that? I see an evil dead picture. <laughs> runaway train. Okay. okay so. uh, I, see, uh, I see a little, a little bear cage from the uh, <laughs> Midsommar. Okay. Okay, um, folks, find your film. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure what you're talking about. For your audio listeners, this is a radio drama, so I'm actually going to try to paint a picture. Bruce Perky and Eric Sorkin, a.k.a. Eric Holmes, are trying to make me believe that I'm seeing things, that I'm going a little bit cuckoo in the cuckoo clock. I, I did see a gorilla behind Bruce Perky. might have been might have been a real gorilla or may, may have been one of his uh, sons dressed up in, <laughs> in gorilla regalia. But... Enough of that. Enough of that. That's horrific. There are you guys gaslighting me? By the way, I've never seen Gaslight. That's a movie I have to see down the road. I also have to see Uncle Peckerhead again. It's been another week. I haven't seen Uncle Peckerhead. I am sorry to the filmmakers behind that. And because the reason why I'm very, very sorry is Bruce Perky really loves the movie. And I don't know if you know this, Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes. We're going to talk about a movie. He said, this movie is one of my favorite movies. It's going to be a toss up. Bruce Perky. Eric Holmes said this. Eric said it's going to be a toss-up between this movie and Uncle Peckerhead for film of the year. And I remember him saying this two, three days ago. And I go, I really need to see Uncle Peckerhead. Now, enough of the preamble. We don't, do, we, do we have any rewinds this week? We don't, have we become so, so narcissistic we don't even watch each other's movies anymore? The answer, is, folks, is yes. Now, we're going to not bury the lead. We're not burying the lead. We are not. We are making negative dollars on this podcast. We don't get. We don't get any revenue coming in. I'm not asking you listeners for revenue. I'm just. Go, I'm just going to say one of the cool things of doing this podcast, other than hanging out with my buddies Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes Sorkin, is we get to once in a while get really cool screener links for movies. We're all movie fans, and we each receive a screening link for the new Aaron Sorkin film, The Trial 
of the Chicago 7. Now, I am going to start off with you, Bruce Porky. The trial of the Chicago 7, are you, have, you always, have, you, have you always been a huge Aaron Sorkin fan? Um, I, I'd say I'm only, I'm moderate. I think we talked about last time, uh, Molly's Game, I think is probably my favorite of his films, but I was never a big um, Sorkin TV guy. Like I never watched a lot of those TV shows. The West so Wing, you never saw Aaron, that? Yeah, yeah. I never okay. watched much of that at all. So Aaron Sorkin was a little bit of a, a, a lost, like I always heard about it. And I always heard about the awesome writing, but I was never really in on it in that sense. So I guess I'm more of a latecomer to the Aaron Sorkin fandom. But I am a fan of what I have seen um, lately. Hmm. Okay, lately. That's, that's a good little tease. Eric Holmes, I think you differ a little bit with Bruce Berkey on your... I'm assuming that you've always been a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. Or maybe not. Maybe did you grow into loving his work? It kind of, yeah, kind of edged into it, I guess. Yeah, you ever have those ones where, uh, you know, you see people's movies, you like them, but it's not until later where you realize who it is. Like, I've always liked Alien 3, but it wasn't until well after Fight Club came back that I even knew that David Fincher was the one that directed it. This kind of same with Aaron Sorkin. I like The Few Good Men. I like Malice. When I saw Charlie Wilson's War, I like that. But it wasn't, I didn't know those as Aaron Sorkin movies. And I've always heard the name, and then I don't know when I really got into them. But it kind of, yeah, it kind of eased into it a little bit. Wow! But yeah, I'm a huge fan Eric, currently for you, sure. You, 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 Eric, you just you just jogged my memory. You just pulled out the malice reference. Very cool. I, I remember that there had there's that show stopping. What is it? I am God speech from by Alec Baldwin. In, in you ask me if I believe in God. I am God. <laughs> Uh, very good. Very, see, Bruce Berkey, you should be—you should have fallen in love with Aaron Sorkin just by that speech from over twenty-five years ago. Where are you? Where have you been, man? But at least you're, you're joining on the train. I'm a little bit between Bruce Berkey and Eric, Eric Holmes regarding the love for Sorkin. Here's the thing: that I actually interviewed this little little uh, drop name dropping. I interviewed Aaron Sorkin at a radio roundtable years ago for this movie called The American President, which you all know. Michael Douglas and Ed Benning, and I asked him about a couple of secrets to screenwriting and what it takes to become an effective writer. And you know what? I don't have that sound because even though Aaron Sorkin is an effective writer, I'm not an effective journalist. I never kept my archives. It's lost somewhere in the ether. Probably someone over at Westwood One got all of my interview tapes from 19 years and probably threw them in the dustbin. So my interview, my radio roundtable interview with Aaron Sorkin is lost, but that's a sad moment. I wish I had that Aaron Sorkin sound, but we all know how great Aaron Sorkin is as a writer. The thing is, The Trial of the Chicago 7, two hours and eight minutes, okay? Two hours and eight minutes comes out, what, October 16th? I believe October 16th on Netflix. Bruce Parkey, were you, before you take a sip of your what is that? Are you, are you having water? What is coffee? <laughs> it's bourbon. No, it's coffee. <laughs> it's bourbon. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, I've, you know, have, I've never mixed bourbon and coffee, by the way. That, that'd be an interesting mix to, to do. I've, I've done Irish coffee. But Bruce Perky, your, your thoughts overall on the trial of the Chicago 7, we all know what it's about. Do we, do we need a plot up on the Chicago 7? Let me just give a little thing before you answer. I'm going to give the Netflix plot synops- synopsis. What was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turned into a violent clash with police and the National Guard. The organizers of the protest, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale, 
were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history. All-star cast, amazing writing. Bruce Perky, two hours and eight minutes. Was it worth all that time spent on a movie? I would say absolutely. I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. And I feel like for a little over a two-hour movie, they cram a lot of stuff in there. So it, to me, it feels anything but boring. It's, it moves at a breakneck speed. And in fact, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but the way he even um, will intercut the same scene with like two to three different sources. So that makes it just really like active, I think visually and auditorily and just narratively. And it's surprisingly for a courtroom drama, it's a crowd pleasing movie. And it's way more humorous than I thought it would be. I was really pleasantly surprised by the amount of humor in here mixed in with some maddening political reality. So it's, I really liked it quite a bit. Mm, Okay. Eric Holmes, I'm not going to spoil what I know, what your reaction is, but can you, before you actually answer that question, if whether you like this movie or not, do you need to, just uh, take a moment because you're going to be so excited talking about your reaction to the trial of the Chicago seven. Can't wait to hear your answer on this. This may take a second. I've never been on trial for my taste in movies before. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. So goddamn much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I believe, I believe I saw this on Saturday and then Sunday and then Monday. And then again on Monday at, <laughs> uh, at, at, the 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 okay oh, i i knew this would happen my i can't get my brain together because, because you love I'm it just, so much because I, i'm just so excited about this okay well let me I, let me interject first okay. you've seen it at least three times let's just say that you've seen it at least three times correct yes at least three times okay so you're saying a do you think it, ha- it has a high watchability factor do you get yes. more did you get more with repeated viewings of this film yeah, this is kind of like a uh, boogie nights to me, where the uh, like Bruce said, it, it's real fun. It's a really funny movie, and it also has its uh, dramatic elements to it. But yeah, the it's just really entertaining overall. The the more I watch it, you know, you find little Aaron Sorkin's really good about leaving little nuggets of comedy and nuggets of uh, you know introspection and stuff that you probably don't catch the first time and. You know, the three plus times I've seen it, start picking more. And I'm sure I'm going to watch this another 50 more times and just keep picking more and more out of it. I love everything about this movie. I was a huge fan of Molly's Game. When I heard that Aaron Sorkin was first directing Molly's Game, I was really interested to see what he would do. And I love Molly's Game. And then this came out, and it, based on my love of Molly's Game, this made me even more excited for this one. And then I watched this one, and I'm... The only thing that disappoints me about this is that I wonder what A Few Good Men and Malice and American President and Moneyball and Charlie mm-hmm. Wilson's War, I wonder what those would have been like had Aaron Sorkin directed those as well. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely tickled that he's getting into directing. Not only is he getting into directing, I think he's crushing it, and I can't wait to see what he does going forward. I didn't know a lot about the Chicago 7 
prior to this. I knew a little bit about it, but not enough to really speak on it. Yeah, just watching this, just kept, you know, watching the movie, pausing it, going to Wikipedia and like looking up stuff, which I think is a hallmark of a good historical biopic is, you know, when you're watching something like, oh shit, did that really happen? Oh, yeah, I guess it did happen. Or, you know, maybe these characters, all the performances are great. And by all the performances, I mean all of the performances are great. <laughs> if uh, when it comes time for uh, award season, I do not envy the person that has to pick the one person that's going to be the lead actor and supporting actor. It would be very tough. It would be very, yeah. very tough. The the easy one is Sasha Baron Cohen, but Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, the guy that played Bobby Seal, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Yep. Mark Rylance or Mark yes. Rylance was fantastic. Mark Rylance, yeah. Mark Rylance is William Kunstler. Let's say Eddie Redmayne is Tom Hayden. Eddie Sasha Redmayne. Baron Cohen is, like you said, Abby Hoffman. Jerry Rubin, played by Jeremy Strong from, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne in this, like, he, he's kind of been hot and cold as far as, uh, not for me, but just in general, like, people that really love his performances and or really don't like his performance. I, I guess the one they don't like would be the, uh, what was the movie he did with the Wachowskis? Oh, oh the right. Jupiter Ascending yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. I, I didn't see that, so I can't speak to his performance on the His performance in this movie, oh my God. I wasn't even watching Nitty Red, man. I was just watching Tom Hayden. He was great in this. Everybody was fantastic in this. The movie, you mentioned it's two plus hours. Felt like 15 minutes to me. <laughs> And uh, about halfway through the movie, it felt to me, it felt like kind of it was wrapping up because it does that. There's a lot of ebbs and flows. And it's I was like getting I was getting a little sex. It's like, oh, the movie's wrapping up. And then I checked the I checked the uh, the bar at the bottom where it shows how much time. And I'm like, sweet, we got another hour more. This. <laughs> I got all excited. It, it, it doesn't it's it's very rare that I watch a movie where I see that there's an hour left and I'm actually happy about it. And yeah. Everything about this movie is fantastic. I love this. As you said, like my favorite movie of the year up till now was Uncle Peckerhead. And now Uncle Peckerhead and Trial of the Chicago 7 are butting head to head. I don't know who's going to come out on top. Wow. But I'm glad. I'm f- tickled pink that there are two movies this year that I love as much as I love these two. Bruce, would you call this, would this be right up there as one of your favorites? You said you liked it. So that's that's still good praise. Oh, this, this would definitely be, I mean... I would be amazed if this doesn't end up in my top movies of the year. I don't know if it'll be my top movie yet. I, I mean, I'm just kind of waiting to see how everything falls out, but it's super good. Uh, and for what was, um, I'll just like what Eric was saying, exactly what he was saying, it, a movie like this, if it's working right, it's entertaining in its own right. Even if you don't believe any of it's true, it should be an entertaining story, which it is. But throughout this kind of a story, you should be wanting to find out if it really happened. And I was doing the same thing. I was like, did that really happen to Bobby Seale in the courtroom? Yep, sure as hell did happen in the courtroom. You know, was that judge really like that? Played by Frank Langella. Thank you very much. Awesome, Frank Langella. Awesome, yes, very awesome. So good. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty much what they said. I mean, throughout, there's a lot of those kind of moments. Afterwards, on top of that, I went back and watched a whole bunch about the a particular person who is killed by the police during the trial. I went and looked a bunch of that stuff up. I went and watched like an hour interview with Donahue in 1970 with Jerry Rubin. I went and watched a whole bunch of tape of Abby Hoffman. And if you think Sasha Baron Cohen's, um, you know, accent and stuff is, is kind of crazy. It's really pretty spot on. 
And there's a couple scenes. I even stopped during the movie to watch something. And I ended up seeing a scene that wasn't in the movie with Abby Hoffman. And then I saw that scene get shown later in the movie. And I was like, oh my God, that's the same scene. You know, I can't say enough about how awesome Jeremy Strong is in this. I mean, he's hilarious. Yeah. He kind of comes across sometimes as almost like the dimwit, like stoner dude, which is really fun, but then he's not. And he's really smart too. It's kind of just his his way of talking. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun. And to the directing point, and I don't know how much this is the editor versus the director, and I assume he has a big influence on this. I mean, what Sorkin's known for, you know, the snappy dialogue and the, the back and forth and all this, he does that with the editing. And that's kind of what I was talking about, the way that, for example, the opening sequence, right? We could talk about that. The opening sequence kind of falls through all of the, the moments and the history that led up to this protest. And within like five minutes, we get all this, like we get, you know, newsreel footage. We get each of the main characters doing their speech leading up to the, the, the protest. And it's all done really fast and intercut. And it lets you know every character and what's going on. And it almost like, it's almost like a hype, like it hypes you up and you're ready to go. And it's quite a feat. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, with courtroom dramas, one of the main failings of a lot of courtroom dramas is they can appear to be a little bit stage or play-like. And if you're, if you're fine with that confined space, those stage courtroom dramas can exist on its own and excel on its own. And I think, Eric, to your point about Aaron Sorkin being a filmmaker, never did I feel, even though it had the Sorkin dialogue, never did I feel I was caught up in a play. I was just, it felt like constant movement to me and just a lot of, you know, just a lot of mixture of just cinematic elements that Sorkin used without calling attention to himself as a filmmaker. All I know is that this movie really felt like it it could really work on, on the big screen as well. So I really love this. I remember when I was a kid, the first time I saw 12 Angry Men and realizing, wow, it's just a bunch of dudes talking in a room and I'm not bored. I'm totally not bored. And that's how I felt. Obviously, the trial of the Chicago 7, because of its subject matter, it's a lot more opened up. But even, even saying that, with the flashbacks and all that other stuff, a lot of the material, the story takes place in the courtroom, and it didn't feel constrained or claustrophobic whatsoever. So not one boring moment for me in this movie. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a, also uh, with the back and forth, they did a real good job of... Uh, well, there's one part in particular where they're uh, cross-examining one of the police that was uh, when Eddie Redman was letting the air out of the tires and they're cross-examining them. And then uh, they ask him a question. Then they cut back to show what Eddie Redmayne's doing and what the policeman's doing while they were there. And then they cut back to him giving his answer. And it's just a complete lie. Like just <laughs> a bunch of stuff like that. It's just like, oh, yeah, that asshole. Well, you're going to get his. And then they cut to uh, Franklin Jello and it's like, yeah, we're going to cut this whole, we're going to dismiss this whole thing from the uh, court or whatever. And yeah, Franklin Jell, dude, I want to choke the living crap out of <laughs> jello the entire so time. Good. I, was, I, was, so good. I was watching this and I was, cause I watched like, they got like a lawyer reacts stuff on YouTube. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. Cannot give legal advice, but you know, watching those, you get a couple ideas of what uh, lawyers do in movies that aren't real. One of the things they do in this is like walk in the well, I guess you're not supposed to do that. Like when they walk up to the, Oh, uh, right. Where they kind of uh, just wander around in the middle 
yeah apparently that's apparently that's uh something that if you do that without permission uh, you'll get the bailiff will take you down i don't know how true that is i assume it is because the lawyer said it and not me but yeah there's that part and then i'm watching franklin jill i'm like there's no way how, how is this person even a judge and then as bruce said look it up that that was one of the first things i looked up i'm like there's no way in hell this person's this judge is that unfair and that much of a prick and then i look it up and go oh yeah i guess he was <laughs> and that doesn't that get to the point of the reality of the world right yeah and that's what i mean obviously people are going to compare it to modern times and you know parallels and so on and so forth but the point that you can have that reaction and find out that that's true and then reflect that into the reality and the injustices that we see now and then makes you understand the protest. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, it's really effective at doing that in a really entertaining package. And I think that's the trick that's almost magic about this is the fact that it's so entertaining. And I really literally say anyone could watch this and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Even if they don't politically follow certain things, I don't know how you couldn't enjoy it. And to have that and wrap that up and then also have moments that really hit you in the gut on top of that, that's a really weird and interesting balancing act he succeeds with in both the script and the filmmaking. The fact that he can have that moment with, and I'm not going to say what it is, but there's a moment with Bobby Seale that's pretty much like a center moment in this movie that just kind of will, it should kind of floor you. And yes, yes. that, that yeah, can I got, happen I got to throughout ask this movie. One. Well, there's, there's one, yeah, there's the a several, one. that's the true. One. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the interactions that he has throughout are just super frustrating, obviously, yeah. but there's one that's just like, whole, holy shit. The fact that he can put those moments and then also have humor and then also have just pure entertainment and also have you be exalted at times and raising your fist at times. That is an amazing feat, I think. As you know, also it puts a mirror to the viewer because it really, whether you're political or not, or even engage in this historical moment, it puts you right there. Puts you right there. Yeah. You you start asking yourself while you're watching the movie, "Am I Bobby Seale? Am I Jerry Rubin? Would I be like Jerry Rubin, or maybe Abby Hoffman, who really believes in the cause and will do anything? Or are you? Do you see yourself as Tom Hayden, who believes in the cause passionately, but knows that sometimes you have to ultimately join the establishment to make some progress?" Whereas Abby is on a whole different planet when it comes to that. They're both very intelligent people. So it puts you right there to see where do you personally lie within this trial, within the Chicago seven, you know? So I found yeah. that to be very cool. And maybe that's something, Eric, maybe that's something uh, Aaron Sorkin has always done. I don't know, but it, I felt like I was really right in the mix and you actually start questioning your own values as far as not just protesting about how do you conduct yourself on a political and social basis when it, in, when it comes to affecting change in, in another person's life. I thought that was very interesting stuff. Well, he, he, he's always done this. And actually this movie is a really, really good uh, example of Sorkin as best. All the characters, they all have the snappy dialogue as they do, but they also have their own points of view. And you can tell that you can tell that the right point of view, or I, what I assume is Aaron Sorkin's point of view, kind of comes out on top. But he doesn't shy away from giving characters that he agrees with shit when they deserve it. Uh, one good example is, uh, I don't see anyone that looks like me on the, I don't see anyone that looks like me on the stand. And then Mark Ryland says, have you ever showed up for, anyone here ever show up for jury duty? No? 
then shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, hey, why, why can't we do this? I'm like, because you don't participate. And if you don't participate, you know, that, you know, how, how they can't force you to do it. This is kind of, you know, not that this is your fault, but they're, you're not, you're not clean in this. You make mistakes just as everyone else does. And I, that's one of my favorite parts about Aaron Sorkin is that I, I don't see him as preachy because he's fair. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't take someone that has his point of view without giving them their due shit when they deserve it. And I, you know, th- this movie is a great example of him doing that. Bruce, I'm going to ask you a question. I was listening to a podcast when um, a recent podcast with Aaron Sorkin, he was talking about some guy was really gushing over Aaron Sorkin. Everyone gushes over Aaron Sorkin, right? He's, he's, a, he's brilliant. And he asked about what has he learned as a writer over the years? And Aaron Sorkin said with this specific movie, and that's also with when he did the production of To Kill a Mockingbird on stage, when, because of his writing, whenever the writing would go to any kind of any kind of melodrama whenever the writing would shift to a really huge melodramatic moment he would literally task the actors reading these lines to to call him out on it so he could get push up really close to melodrama but Mm. know when to push back do you think do you see that a little bit with with his work where he, he can get up to that edge and come back a little bit and does does it get to melodrama with chicago seven or not what does he really push back which i thought I was mean, interesting yeah i don't think it does much there might be a couple points where you might go like okay the judge is just a little bit too of a bad guy but see once again was he i mean <laughs> and then there's a couple of points towards the end where people could say like okay that's hollywood hollywood being hollywood i'm not going to say what it is because it would give you a kind of some things that happen really towards the end but Part of the point here, I think, is to make entertainment, too. I don't feel like this movie is trying to... It's not trying to be like a really subdued, super gritty movie. It's trying to be crowd crowd entertainment, but giving you the facts as much as possible and giving you a ton of points of view, like Eric says, holding some of the feet to the fire to some of the people that maybe he's on the side of. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think this really veers into melodrama rarely at all if anything it might it might veer slightly into a little bit more comedy than you might think should be there but i enjoyed it yeah and it might get a little bit of crowd pleasing moments that did it happen quite that way Eh, maybe not quite that way but i enjoyed the hell out of it i i don't want this to be anything else than what it is so i'm i'm cool with the way it is so all right, The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's streaming on Netflix October 16th. Eric Sorkin, last, last comments regarding The Trial of the Chicago 7. We know you love it so much. This comes out Friday, yes? Yeah, Friday, Friday, October 16th. Okay, yeah. well, I will watch it a bunch of times leading up to Friday, and then after <laughs> Friday, I will watch it every day uh, until, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I, I wear out the Netflix well, well, how about this Eric Sorkin if someone says hey uh, Eric Sorkin I, I just I, I, I love the trial of Chicago 7 what's my next deep dive regarding Aaron Sorkin what other Aaron Sorkin movie number two and number three would oh, you goodness. recommend would you steer them to right after that assuming they haven't already seen Molly's Game that uh, Molly's Game would probably be uh, my number two um, yes Steve Jobs is real good Social network, although, I mean, who hasn't seen social network? Anyone listening to this probably has seen that. Uh, Malice, I I would check out Malice. It's kind of a bit underrated, and the American president, 
that that one kind of leans more into the melodrama, but yeah. Malice and, Amer- and American President are the two, I guess, lesser air quotes, lesser Sorkins. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's, uh, you know, if you get into them like I have, there's, uh, there's some joy to be had in those as well. And we, well, we love Aaron Sorkin again. The trial of the Chicago Seven opens in Netflix. Streams on Netflix October sixteenth. Before we get to Bruce Perky's two picks, Eric Holmes's two picks, and my one recommendation, I force fed my my brothers in arms with a movie last minute like a complete punk and i apologize to both of them because you know i i try to get these screening links to all of us earlier but they they got this in the midnight hour so thank you thank you guys for giving and they're wondering if i'm going to actually use the, the this word to actually describe it I because am. i i never <laughs> i never swear here's a problem here's a good thing due to eric holmes's eric sorkin's in, inherent vice inherent knack the knack of his vulgar vulgar vulgarisms and bruce perky also chiming in once again with an s word and an f word our podcast is explicit not because of subject matter we're we're pretty pretty much clean guys but these guys have potty mouths so unfortunately because i'm trying to be a little bit professional about it i'm gonna have to say the name and and we are an e-podcast we're not a we're not a family podcast so here's the thing 2020 SXX, 2020 SXSW Grand Jury winner. It's directed by Cooper Rafe and written and directed by Cooper Rafe and starring Cooper Rafe. The movie, I'm trying to delay this as much as possible. The movie is called Shithouse. Shithouse is the name of the movie. <laughs> what was that? I, I, I yeah, you froze hear. up. You froze up, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you, you have to do that again. Shithouse. Shit it's called Shithouse. I, I don't swear. Oh, Cooper Rafe, F you. F you for, for, for coming up with this freaking name. It comes out in select theaters and video on demand October 16th. Cooper Rafe is it. He's literally, he's a 23-year-old kid. Youth. He's not a kid. He's a youth. And it centers on this guy named, this college freshman, named Alex, played by Cooper Rafe, who he's, he's having a hard time just fitting into college. He has no friends. His only friend is this stuffed animal at the foot of his bed that he kind of talks to. His roommate, played, played, by this, played by Logan Miller, is a bit of a jerk to him. He, his roommate's a partier and drinker and takes, smokes weed, all that stuff, but he doesn't really let Alex in, in on the fun. One evening, he, Alex decides to tag along, and they go to this frat house called The Shit House, where Alex starts bonding with his resident advisor. And the, he and this resident advisor, I'm going to pull up her name right now. She is fantastic in this movie. It's essentially a before sunrise type of movie, but with a little bit of a, you know, it's, but not set all around Europe. It's set in Los Angeles, college in Los Angeles. The woman that he meets, hangs out with for the night. Her name is Maggie Hill, played by actress Dylan Galula. So the, the movie centers on the relationship, the friendship between Alex, played by Cooper Rafe, and Maggie, played by Dylan Galula. Again, it's before sunrise-esque. And it's sort of, it's a low-budget film. I fell in love with this movie right off the get-go because it reminded me of how I was as a freshman at UCLA in college and even how I am now as a 49-year-old aging Asian male podcaster, I still feel very close to that character in Shithouse. I hope Eric Sorkin and Perky O, the story of Perky, don't kill me 
for recommending Shithouse. Let me start with you, Bruce Perky, your thoughts on Shithouse. I really like this movie quite a bit. I like oh, it. I think it's an excellent movie. I just want to call out Cooper is really good as an actor as well in this movie. He does some really great acting. But Dylan Galula is, she's a star in the making. She's going to be, you're going to see her again for sure. So yeah. what I will call out, because it kind of sounds like it's going to be like at a party most of the movie. And the most of the movie is not at a party, although a fair, there are several parties that are displayed in here. But the true heart of this movie is that super awkward, tentative, scary, like putting yourself out there for another person. But I felt like it was in a super genuine Super, it seemed like uh, it had to be drawn very, very straight from life. A big chunk of this had to be straight from life. And one thing I really appreciate, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because let Eric say what he thinks of it too, but I really appreciated how the red flags for both characters, they both have some pretty big flaws to have be starting a relationship with anybody, whether they do or don't in this movie. Are, are right out front. And that seemed so truthful to me when you meet somebody and, they, and you say like, oh, you're so nice. I said, I'm not really that nice. And you're like, oh yeah, you are. You know, when they're actually telling you the truth. And in this movie, they both are telling each other the truth right out of the gate about what is kind of wrong with each of their characters or what they're struggling with. I like, guess not really wrong. I mean, they're flawed characters, they're human beings. But the things that they're struggling with are out there right out of the gate. And they both kind of don't pay attention or quite believe it. So you get to see them kind of go through that hazy stage of infatuation. And then you get to see kind of where that might come out at the other end. And it's, but it's done in a really naturalistic way. And I super appreciated the very genuine, I mean, the writing of this, I don't know how much it's improvised. If it wasn't improvised, it is really well written for someone that young, in my opinion. It did, you know, where I'm, I'm turning 50, where Bruce, we're of the same generation. Eric is just a smidge younger than us. Did you feel that it, it time? Did you feel it connected with your own experiences when you were, when you were young in college at all or, or not? It, Cause I felt this was, I don't even think it has to be college. I mean, I think it does in the sense of the going away from home. So it could be any reason someone kind of leaves the nest. So it's basically that those moments in life where all of a sudden like, oh shit, I'm an adult. You know, how do I navigate this world when I don't have that safety net? So I think that's universal. I mean, how how can anyone not relate to that? I think. Wow! So you really liked it. I'm 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 very happy. Uh, Eric Sorkin did not have did not have your brother's Aaron Aaron's writing. It wasn't <laughs> on this. It's not. It snappy. was written by Cooper Rafe, not Cooper Sorkin. But did you still fourteenth cousin, not brother, fourteenth cousin? <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did you think of Shithouse? Uh, this movie was a journey for me right off the bat. I hated this movie. Oh, <laughs> I, I was like, I've seen this. I know where this is going. And, uh, it, and when I say I hated this movie, I clearly did not understand what this movie was laying down. And it's not till about halfway and definitely towards the end. It clicked. I'm like, I get it now. Uh, much like the character did. And this movie is definitely uh, saying something The Cooper Rafe's character, Alex. I think this movie is talking to people like his character, Alex. And there are yeah, definitely yep. people of his age that absolutely need to see this movie. Because, you know, I'm sure to some degree or another, all of us have been in Alex's position where, you know, we have a certain mindset about things. And we don't know everything, but we think we do. And I... 
I guess why this movie pissed me off, I thought this was going to be Alex's character being the whole world's against me, woe is me, so on and so forth. And then uh, he, you know, maintains the uh, hero role throughout. And that's not what this is. And this actually... Nope. One once I got once I got to the turning point, I was kind of relieved. And I was like, "Oh, thank God, this is actually <laughs> that that this has something to say." I don't know that's a movie meant for me because, as you said, this is like stuff you deal with mm-hmm. in your teens and your twenties that you yeah. eventually grow out of, you know. And we're all in our thirties, so we're well past that. So <laughs> that's a joke, folks. That's a listen. To that. <laughs> um, but this this is definitely, uh, although it's not a movie for me, this is definitely a movie that I think is very important and very important for a specific group of people that they could probably learn a lot from this and probably learn, you know, they, they could watch this movie, learn something about themselves and start changing that a little sooner than they would on their own. That's and for good. that, I, I I think the movies works in that context and is actually quite good in that context. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I, I also want to mention Amy Landecker. Amy Landecker plays the mother of mm-hmm. Alex. And I, I thought that was just, that felt like a very real relationship. I, it spoke to me because I relate, related to the Alex character a lot. I found it a little bit hard first year at UCLA, even though, my parents were in the Valley, UCLA's in Westwood, basically a 30, 40 minute drive. I had one foot for four years, one foot in, at UCLA and the other foot at home. So I never really committed to either or. And so I really, Eric, you're talking about people should, this is sort of a value added experience for people who are in this stage. And I was definitely at that stage at UCLA. If I saw a movie like Shit House, I can't believe how many times I've said sh- shit in this podcast. This, this actually, I've had, I haven't said shit for it's ever. It's a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough. <laughs> but me, thank you, Cooper Ray, for making me. No, anyways. But, you know, so I really related to the, the problems presented in this movie. And actually, you know, put a little bit of a light on. I also, Bruce, did you, I also like, Bruce, you are talking about the lies that people mm-hmm. uh, share in, in this movie. It's people coming out with the truth. I also love the fact that when there are disagreements, there, the story doesn't really take one full side. Each person yes. in this friendship, they, they I, have I think their things, problems. Things yeah. that you might take in a, in a more simplistic version of this, and I think this is kind of what Eric's getting at too, is that things that people might take as cruel and one character is like the good person isn't really the way that this movie plays out. Whereas sometimes things that are coming across as cruel, even though they might be presented in a way that seems kind of cruel or blunt, they're actually not wrong. And another yes. character has to kind of figure that out. And that's the surprising turn that I think this movie takes as far as how it treats his characters. And considering that the, the writer and director and actor of this movie is kind of playing one of the main roles, it, it definitely shows that he has a, at least some degree, I would hope of self-awareness based on how he's playing his own character out. I think it's, it's kind of interesting as well. So I, I, I thought it was pretty darn good. Yeah, and I can imagine, like like Eric says, if I were like twenty, you know, this could be like my movie, you know, this could be it, you know. Totally okay. Well, cool. Recommend from Bruce Berkey. Recommend from me, Eric Holmes. Sort of not a recommend for it. It's uh, it's sort of a I don't know. You wouldn't you'd recommend I, it to I, certain I, people, right? Who I, like the genre. I would recommend if you're like me and you get like say the first twenty thirty minutes in, and you're hating this movie. Stick with it. 
it's not what you think it is and it gets better. Like it, it, it doesn't go in the direction that you think it's probably going to go. Okay. At least cool. yeah. the way I thought it was going to go. Cause I'm dumb sometimes. I don't always get it. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, 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 no. We're I'm dumb too. We're, remember the, the mantra is Bruce is the only smart one in this trio. Dumb, da, dumb, dumb. I, 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 I would just say, stick with that. That's okay. I'll look. Really <laughs> I would say that uh, I cannot wait for uh, what, what's his name? Cooper Rafe. Yes. Yeah. I cannot wait for his next movie, Fuck Bucket, to come out. So we can hear Greg just say Fuck Bucket over and over again. <laughs> Thanks, Gang Cooper, for, for all the words. Just clean it up next time, buddy. And uh, we really loved your movie, okay? At least, you know, so you, you a hole, Cooper. Anyways, so let uh, that is Shithouse. One more time, I'm going to say that it's theaters and video on demand October 16th. Now, let's start off. We each have a couple of movie recommendations. Let's start off with Porky O, the story of Porky. What is your first recommendation? Okay, my first recommendation, I'm going to start it by saying something I would have tried to watch this week or rewatch after like 30 years, but as we talked about, get physical media. This movie isn't available to stream anywhere, and, it's, and if you want to get a physical DVD of it, it's like 70 bucks. So I'm not going to review that movie, but I'm going to mention it. So if someone has, out there has it and doesn't want it, we might work on our another trade again. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. Um, and that is a 1982 or 83's Alone in the Dark, uh, which is a movie that stars Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, and Martin Landau as escaped insane asylum uh, inmates that go on a killing rampage. I am assuming most of you probably have never heard of this movie. I have very fond memories of it, and I would like to see it again someday. But I can't review it because I haven't seen it again for like 30 years, so I don't know if it's any good. But Alone in the Dark, not the one from 2000 whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, I have that one if you want to borrow it. <laughs> no, thank you. I have <laughs> seen that, and it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Hawke and... <laughs> yeah. Okay. What I'm going to do instead is some mo- a movie that's very easily attainable on Hulu... Uh, It's from 1964, and this is called Children of the Damned. Now, you may be slightly aware of this movie. Uh, Village of the Damned is a very famous movie that it's kind of a sequel to, although it really is a standalone movie. Village of the Damned. Children is a sequel to Village? It is, believe it or not, but it's not really. So that's the weird thing about it, right? Village of the Damned came out in like 1960 or something, was remade by John Carpenter. I believe in the early 90s with Christopher Reeve. But the two movies are only related in that they both have a group of kids that seem to have like extra sensory powers, you know. That's it. The stories don't really interlock at all other than that. But this movie is a lot of fun. If you're looking for something weird you haven't seen before, or the horror kind of sci-fi genre, uh, Children of the Dam from 1964. It's directed by Anton Leder or Leder. Mm-hmm. And we, basically it starts out, it says a great opening where you've got these like six kids at a table at like um, some school in England and they're given this big puzzle. The puzzle is like a giant wood block that's been cut up into all these weird pieces and all the pieces are strewn across the ground, you know, and they have to put them together and to make the block again. And, you know, of course the one kid does it in like 30 seconds. The other kids haven't even hardly gotten anywhere on it. And they're like, yep, he's, you know, he's super smart. And of course, it, it turns out that there's six of these kids that they've discovered that are super duper, duper, duper smart. Um, and they're each from different continents. You know, like there's one from China and there's one from 
or not continents, but you know, nations, Russia, there's one from you know, on and on. The, those six get brought to England because they want to study them and figure out what's going on. The two main lead characters are uh, Dr. Tom Llewellyn, played by Ian Hendry, which I mentioned last week in Theater of Blood. He was also in Repulsion. And Dr. David Neville, played by Alan Badell. What makes this movie really fun is it is unusual for a movie of that era in that they are not playing the kids as really evil. So the basic concept of this movie is the kids can like control you with their minds. They can do a lot of stuff with their minds. They're like super duper intelligent. Uh, they also have the ability to kind of make like a machine. There's one point where they make a machine into a weapon. They kind of hole up in this old church, the whole group of them. But the basic conflict of this movie is you have these two scientists that are trying to study them and, and kind of figure out what's going on. And you have the militaries of the world who want to use them for weaponry. So it ends up being a really interesting look at you know, pacifism and the kind of Cold War. It's kind of a Cold War drama in a sense that kind of goes with the supernatural element. It's, you know, it's a brisk movie. It's like 90 minutes or so. And another aspect of this that's really interesting is the unstated. It's unstated that the two main scientists live together. And it, from all appearances, and it's been noted over time, this movie was coding them as a gay couple, but not judging them. Because you see them multiple times in their home living together and they're working together and studying things together. And that was kind of an interesting subtext that that was in this movie when it was illegal to be gay in England at the time. So that was kind of an interesting thing as well. This was a very, it seemed to be a very liberal, surprisingly liberal movie <laughs> for its era. So uh, if you want to go check out um, a movie you may not have ever come across or thought about, um, I would suggest Children of the damned kids look scary with their eyes are they scary are they scary you said they're not are they scary at all in the movie a little bit they They are a little bit because they do um basically they're so they're kind of like if you think of like frankenstein right he didn't really intend to ever hurt anybody but if you did something to threaten him he was really powerful and he would kill people because he was so powerful so it's kind of like that so if they get threatened they will use the powers they have and that's just pretty cool. There's a, a, I don't want to describe how they do it, but there's a, a way that they take a machine that's in a church and adapt it to make it into a weapon that's really cool and, and kind of this almost veers less from horror and more almost into B sci-fi, almost in that late 50s, early 60s sci-fi category. And I kind of love that sort of stuff. So if you're kind of into that, I think you might dig this. So, Wow, it's interesting. It's directed by, like you said, it's directed by Anton Leder. He was... Mm-hmm mainly known for his work in television so children of the yep. damned it's not but he did pop- like he did like twilight zone and he did some of those shows so he was ironside yeah. star yeah. trek no but village of the damned is as far as lexicon goes it's a more popular film than children i think it is because i think people just kind of assume this is just a knockoff so they kind of just kind of ignore it and village of the damned gets all the kind of the glory and village of the damned in its own right is a really good movie but it's a different it has a different emphasis it's not about the same thing exactly it's much more about like provincial like suburban life and kind of doing a whole like take on that and the the fear of you know children and the fear of like the youth rising that's the early 60s right so that's when you have like the beginning of the counterculture so there's a lot more of that kind of stuff going on in that one Cool. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, Children of the Damned streaming on Hulu right now. That sounds like a very interesting movie to watch. You know, it's very, you know, Bruce, when I do the edits on our, on our show, 
on our podcast, there are things that you say that I completely miss out on for some reason. It's just so wry and under the radar. I, I end up laughing. I go, oh, how did I miss that? I did not miss what you just did right now. I don't know, Eric, Eric Sorkin, Mr. Sorkin, if you've noticed this. The physical media stuff, we've been pumping this for, for a while since, we, since our inception when we were previously called Movie Mainline. But I like, Bruce, how you just slipped in. By the way, there's a movie I really liked back, back in the day called <laughs> Alone in the Dark. And I saw it. I liked it. I'll eventually watch it. You can't watch it because you don't have $90 and you don't appreciate DVDs. It's time you start appreciating DVDs or you better get rich. That's what basically I'm saying. I'm looking. I, I'm I, and listeners, Bruce Perky is right. I looked it up. Alone in the Dark, 1982. You can only buy it, Bruce, exactly for ninety dollars. And uh, so, congrats on that, Bruce. That's a great recommendation. Hopefully, listeners, if any of you have seen Alone in the Dark, or if you have a ninety dollar copy of it, please send it to Bruce Perky, and we can do our <laughs> DVD right, chain. <laughs> That's gonna be that's gonna be a different DVD chain. That'll be like a Buckingham Palace, very yeah. very priceless DVD chain. Eric Holmes, have you have you ever seen Alone in the Dark? And have you are you still collecting Blu-rays and DVDs as we speak? You're still buying because I'm I'm yes. I've been going to Dollar Trees the last several weeks, and I I basically have no money left. My my shelf is filled with dollar DVDs, dollar Blu-rays. Uh, I am still I am still collecting them. I. I've seen the Uwe Boll Alone in the Dark uh, with uh, Tara <laughs> Reed, and uh, she wears the glasses because she's supposed to be smart, and yes. I thought she looked very smart in this picture. <laughs> um, th- Alone in the Dark is what it is. I have not seen the one that Bruce is talking about, though. No. Don't you want to see that with that lineup? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. As, as soon as you said Alone in the Dark, I'm like, Ugh. and then you started saying the lineup. I'm like, wait a second. This is not that same one. Right? <laughs> Oh my gosh! And it also stars Dwight Schultz. Dwight Schultz from the A Team. He played. Yeah, that's, um, so that's so amazing. Great, great choice for Alone in the Dark. Eric Sorkin, you're not. I'm sure you're. Unlike me, you are not alone in the dark too much. Hopefully, you have companions now and again. What is your next? What is your first pick of the week? First pick, I guess, uh, will go along with the uh, physical media thing. I don't think this is streaming, and if it is, I'm not sure where. But I was looking up uh, DVDs, and I finally found this one. Public it's Access, a, directed a, by uh, Brian Singer, right? Brian Singer, written by Christopher McQuarrie, Brian Singer, and Michael Dugan from 1993. I've always wanted to watch this in spite of uh, Brian Singer's past, and we'll get into that a little bit. Wait, you, but, and uh, you, you've always had the DVD? You just purchased the DVD? Well, what no, I just got it. I just got it this week. Okay, just from Amazon, or did you just... Um... There's a, there's a uh, place called Entertain Mart here in Colorado Springs. And mm. they just have, it's basically just a giant warehouse with like DVDs and video games and stuff. It's, oh, uh, wow. it's like a giant nerd palace. If you ever come to Colorado Springs, look me up and we'll go hit up Entertain Mart, hold hands and skip down the aisles. They're, so they have a really I good collection. That. Yeah, I would, to- I would totally do that. So they have a great collection of movies there? Oh, yeah, they got a bunch of them. Uh, if you can't find it at Amazon, if I can never find something at Amazon, I usually go there, and there's usually at least one copy, or I'll say, hey, I'm looking. A real good example was I was looking for Blood In, Blood Out, because I always liked that movie back in the day, but I had sure. never seen it in, like, a long time. And I was looking for it, and I couldn't find it anywhere there. And I asked the uh, lady that works there, I was like, you got Blood In, Blood Out? And she's like, no, uh, there's a copy in blah, blah, blah. Uh, we can order it in for you. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. So they bring it in. 
And then like a month later, there's this whole stand with like 50 copies of blood. blood out and <laughs> apparently I was not the only person asking for that, but yeah, uh, it, it's a really cool place to go and find uh, used new, all sorts of stuff. It, it's a, it's a literal treasure trove and I'm glad it exists. And I'm glad I live near a place like this that exists, Very cool. but uh, this movie is public access. I've always heard of it. I've never seen it. I've been a, a fan of Brian Singer and then, you know, stuff comes out about him. So I'm kind of less so now it's hard being excited when uh, hard, when you hear certain things, it's the separate the art from the artist thing, but he's done some pretty horrendous stuff and uh but i i am huge fan of christopher mcquarrie and is of this is of right now he's not a pedophile that we know of so i i can hang my head on that portion of it this movie's a complete a total student film and i think that's i think that's probably what it was originally they it kind of like uh when i was talking about my best friend's birthday and cigarettes and coffee you know, this is early Brian Singer, early Christopher McQuarrie, and it's definitely, uh, you can see flashes of what they'll become later, even to the point where uh, there's a line that says, uh, does your mouth water whenever the school bell rings? You know, it's it's lines like that that kind of let you know what is to become of Brian Singer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm not the one touching kids. You can yell at him about that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this, this movie's uh, it's a decent first film for sure. There's some some decent writing and some writing that kind of you know comes off a bit hokey. But the so the story is this guy comes into this town called Brewster, and he's uh, what do you call it? Someone that talks on camera, I kind of like a broadcaster. Yeah, like broadcaster. And uh, he has a. Yeah, and he's uh, on this public access show, and you know people are kind of watching it, kind of not. And his landlord has an idea: why don't you get real people on there? He's like, okay, sure. And then uh, his landlord mentions that he used to be the mayor. He's like, oh, why don't you come on the show? He comes on the show, and then uh, you know he talks about him. The guy talks about his uh, him being the mayor and what he's doing now, and so on and so forth. And then someone calls up, and he has some not nice things to say about the mayor. Bet you didn't know about this. Bet you didn't know about that. And the guy kind of comes off as a little nuts, like a little uh, Art Bell, coast mm. to coast kind mm-hmm. of conspiracy theory. And the, the you know the you know, broadcaster is like, okay, yeah, whatever, crazy person, you know, hangs up on him. And then as the movie goes, you find out that there might be something to this little conspiracy theory because uh and then it just kind of goes from there the little town isn't quite the idyllic town that they think it is and it it ends kind of weird on a very weird note but yeah it's a decent first movie but if you're expecting like a you know usual suspects or um <laughs> valkyrie or way, way of the gun it is not that but it, it, this would be more of if you can find it. It's a good time capsule of what, you know, these filmmakers that we know now. It's a good time capsule of where they started. And okay. Public access. I can recommend it. Out on DVD. I guess you order on DVD and uh, maybe let's, I'll check. Maybe it might be streaming somewhere. It might be streaming somewhere. But it's, it's not a must-see. If, I guess it's only a must-see if you're a fan of Brian Singer and Christopher McQuarrie. I suppose. Yeah, well, I, I would say more Christopher McQuarrie. At, at least I, I'm more of a fan of his anyway. And so I guess one of the, uh, and I don't know how close I got, but one of the fun things I was doing while watching this, because it's, it's him, it's Brian Singer and Michael Dugan. So there's three writers on it. 
I was watching this trying to see if I can parse out which is Christopher McQuarrie's line, which is Brian Singer's line, and I don't know Michael Dugan. Uh, this He's done this and a couple other things that I've never heard of, which is kind of strange, but... Yeah, trying to parse out the Christopher McQuarrie lines was kind of fun, but okay, not well, great, but definitely a curiosity for sure. Well, again, goes to the, goes to the point where Bruce Perky started with Alone in the Dark, not streaming. You got to get it on DVD. And again, with public access, the whole not streaming thing, again, it's one of those things where you think you have so many options, but you really don't. So maybe, maybe you can find it on public access. <laughs> maybe you can find it on public Jokes. access. Jokes. 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 You know bit, what's even worse? Do you ever get this experience? You ever get the experience where you go to see if it's available, like say on Amazon Prime, and it pops up there and it looks like it's there, and then it says not available anymore, basically. Like it yes. used to be there, and you're like, <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. Listeners, Bruce Bruce Perky, that very very smart of again of him referring to Femme Fatale Femme Fatale directed by Brian De Palma. He we we have a Brian De Palma episode, our last episode, director spotlight was I think Brian De Palma and, and uh, Bruce Perky was, was actually a certain way into Femme Fatale, went to work. He literally got back home from work, <laughs> ready to watch it. And for some reason, the gods up there decided to cancel the <laughs> Fatale Amazon Prime Video streaming window. Window, It's ridiculous. I must be on like a list. They're like, oh, Bruce is watching it. Take it down. <laughs> Take it down. By the way, lis- listeners, that's, uh, so check out our Brian De Palma episode for a little plug. And again, the second part of our, our taping this week is we're going to tape a director spotlight on who eric sorkin who are we going to be talking about david mamet david mamet folks so you're going to be in for a treat we're going to be reviewing the move the mamet films red belt and house of games very very interesting before we get to that perkyo you got you got a final one for you final i do i do yes i have a final one for you and this i'll read you the tagline first the tagline this is i guess when they re-released it on dvd and 2010 the greatest hong kong martial arts action revenge gore soaked prison breakout love story cult film of 1991 ever put on dvd so that is the description of ricky O. the story of ricky from 1991 uh directed by ngai choi lam or lam uh it's from hong kong as we just said Uh, you can find this on tubi so there you go you can actually find the streaming and boy, how to describe this movie. I know that Eric has seen it, so he can probably kind of jump in on this as well. Um, it's supposed to take, so this is 1991 when it was made. It's supposed to take place in 2001. So it's supposed to be a futuristic movie. And it follows Ricky or Ricky O going into prison, into this futuristic prison in Hong Kong. And it's kind of a little bit trauma. It's a little bit like martial arts. It's a little bit like Rambo era action with extreme practical gore effects. So you might have a scene in here where, I mean, you know, the obvious thing when you go into a a prison movie, right? The new guy goes into prison and some toughs approach him to challenge him or whatever, and a fight ensues. And in this movie, instead of the fight ensuing and, you know, your hero kind of coming out on top after a tough fight, here, he might literally punch his arm through somebody. Or he might hit them, knock them on the ground, and their head will go into a board with nails on it and impact, you know, like impale their whole Ooh. head on it and their eyeball might fall out. It's, it's insane. It's super cartoonish. It's super, I mean, almost like evil dead, like dead, but two cartoon level of violence, like not, not the kind that will like 
disturb you more almost humorous in the way it's done but it's also just a super fun over the top cartoon level almost superhero level action flick is i guess how i would describe it because i mean there's these four wings of the prison each wing has like a leader and each one of them kind of has a a way of fighting or has their own style uh and there's the warden and he's his own kind of crazy he's got his eyeball that he can take out and Oh. He can shake stuff out of it, drugs out of it, and take the drugs. I mean, it's that kind of level of crazy. So if that sounds even inter- slightly interesting to you, this is one of those movies that have been kind of on radar for a long time. And I finally said, I'm going to go check this out. Super fun and weird. And definitely would be on your radar for cult flicks to check out. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, it, it's been a long time since I've seen this one. But uh, this is one of those, my friend Trent had this and we would watch it. And it's just one of those like... Uh, if you ever seen like Tokyo Gore Police yeah. or The Machine Girl, it's kind of that, that heightened violence. And this is the one with, I think, it, if I'm correct, this is the one that they uh, used the clip on The Daily Show where it's a guy smashing the head. Yeah. The, and yeah. the head just kind of crumbles into like a, yeah, kind of like smashing a watermelon. Yeah, this story-wise, I remember absolutely nothing about it. I just remember just a bunch of kind of over the, same with Tokyo Gore Police and, and yeah. Machine Girl. I, I remember the violence of it because it's so over the top and like you say, just crazy and inventive and kind of funny. That This is definitely a movie that, uh, this is like a midnight movie. This, this totally. is the type of movie that midnight movies were made for. This Yeah, this is one of those movies you get together with a bunch of your buddies. You all get some pizza, some beer, and you don't have to watch it that close. And then all of a sudden you'll stop and go like, whoa, what just happened? Back that up and let's see that again, you know? And it's just, it, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, this is the movie that when you get the, like you say, you get the buddies and the pizza and the beer, and you put in Future Kill, you take out Future Kill and <laughs> yes. put Richard Owen instead. <laughs> Yeah, and this just never stops. And every time it breaks down to have a little like flashback to how he got there or something, like the flashback is super short and also crazy. And then it gets right back into the action. It's definitely almost like a video game movie, you know, where there's just different levels and each level is a little crazier and he has to, you know, beat that boss. And there's a weird thing in this, and I, I don't know if you remember this at all, but Eric, there's a weird thing when, when he, as he's fighting each kind of boss guy, like head of each you know wing of the the they they partway through the battle they'll be totally almost dead and they'll all of a sudden be on his side there's this weird thing where they'll be like you know they like respect him and now they're also against the their true enemy which is like the warden and that's a really interesting thing that kind of goes on in this movie that as you watch it and i don't remember what happens to the warden at the end but that is amazing no i i'm definitely have to pull this one out again cuz it's been I think I probably saw it in like uh, 99, 2000. I, I saw it in the year that it was probably set in, I think. Yeah. Don't, it's on Tubi. I mean, go Joe, check out like half an hour. Yeah. You'll probably end up watching the whole thing. It's, oh, it's, more, more than likely. <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Like we said, 1991 on Tubi, T-U-B-I. If you don't have that streaming service, use it. It's free. Get it on your get it on your tablet, get it on your, your Amazon fire. It's it, again, we talked about it. It has commercials. It's free. The commercials, Bruce, you are witness to this. They're not as intrusive as no. Uh, no. Yeah. You're fine. totally fine. So awesome. You know, what would be great one, one day if we just do some kind of film switch one week, Bruce and Eric, you guys will start, you will do, you will review your movie picks will be 
coming of age, touchy feely weepers. And I'm just going to come in with some really hardcore gore fest <laughs> type of movies. And we'll just flip the script. We'll yeah. see, Greg's we'll going to come in with like martyrs do, or something. It's like, hey, I watched martyrs this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be, a, it'll, it'll be a nice little switch. We do that. And then you guys talk yeah. about how, you know, some, Oh, you know, Eric, you're going to be talking about Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill in Love Story. That'll, that'll be a nice, nice little Here selection. Be. Be. I saw this movie called Solo, and it was very coming-of-age story, much as you were talking about. Okay, now that's double-flipping the script, and that's not, that's not allowed, <laughs> Eric Holmes. And you know what? I, I can't wait. I can't wait till you review it, and then Bruce Perky will say, Solo is a turd, because that would be completely accurate. That would be complete, True. completely True. accurate. Dude. That, Dude, that Solo is, is <laughs> you know uh listeners i'm sure you guys know that that is a reference to the pier paolo pasolini film uh Solo, 120 days of sodom which is not a, a really great feel-good movie i hope eric sorkin you're gonna i'm gonna have one one more pick but eric what is your last eric sorkin what is your last pick of this week I, um, my last one actually just came out i believe last night my friends do a podcast called cf3 and I was on their first episode and the movie that we talked about on that was called never hike alone, which was a, uh, a Friday the 13th fan film directed by Vincent DeSanti. And I really enjoyed it. And I would recommend any fans of, uh, of Friday the 13th, check it out. And uh, last night just dropped a new one. Never. First one was never hike alone. This one's called never hike in the snow. It's, Basically, another Friday the 13th movie, but it's at Camp Crystal Lake, and it's in the snow. Um, this one this one, and the Never Hike Alone both, I think, are uh, – they stand out to me as far as fan films go because my my biggest uh, – or I guess my only – the only thing I see of fan films is like the Star Wars fan films they have on YouTube, which is uh, – Someone looking stoic, and they got a green lightsaber, so they must be the Jedi. And someone else looking stoic, and they got a red lightsaber, so they must be a Sith. And the whole 15 minutes of the short film was them sword fighting, and then they roll 18 minutes of credits, and it's they're pretty lame for the most part. Both of these actually have stories, you know, as much stories as you can expect from uh, Friday the 13th. This one actually gets more into or hints more at uh, Jason's past and his relationship with his mom, who's now dead, but still kind of talks to him. You can tell that these people are huge Friday the 13th fans because they have like little little nuggets uh, that they drop as far as lore and previous uh, Friday the 13th. And it even stars Tom... I Matthews. Don't know his name. Tom Matthews. Matthews. Is uh, Tommy Jarvis from, was it Friday the 13th 6, I think? Yes, and Return to the Living Dead. Yeah, it's a fan film, but it's a fan film that they actually have one of the people from the previous movie in the movie. So kind of, it kind of cool. elevates it. And quite honestly, this is just both of these are just really good Friday the Thirteenth movies. I don't know who owns the rights to them, but I hope that they would watch these and go, "Hey, we want to make a for real Friday the Thirteenth movie." Let's get this guy. He seems to know the, uh, you know, he seems to know the franchise pretty well. And he makes, he made two really, really great fan films out of it. So yeah, check them out. They're free on YouTube. I mean, you can't sell them because it doesn't have the rights to it, but it's right there for everyone to check out. And if you're a fan at all of Jason Voorhees, definitely check these out because they're quite good. Wasn't there a Friday the 13th Blu-ray set that just came out or something like that? No. Yes. Oh, 
Yes. Okay, yeah. So because I was seeing on our cinematic Facebook group, a couple of people were just showing a couple of these Friday the Thirteenth collect. Yeah, Friday the Thirteenth collection, deluxe edition. Wow. So I, you know, I'll be honest, I have not seen one of these movies. This I'm one, sorry, in, Bruce. This one in particular <laughs> would be a good one to dip your toe in. I think. Okay. okay. You know, it's 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 under an hour. It's it's fun. You know, it, it kind of. Yeah, if you've never seen a Friday the 13th, this would be a good one to uh, yeah, dip your toe in and see if you like it. And if you do, maybe hit up the rest of the Friday the 13th. Holy. I would argue, I actually watched it before we came, I came on too, and I would argue it almost has more story than some of the movies do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're not wrong. Honestly. Okay, so this set, 15 discs. 15. Okay. Wow. So 15 disc set, and it and the 15th disc is, what is it? It All is... features. Yeah, all, so many features, yeah. But disc 12 is Jason, what, 10? Jason X? And they have Jason Goes to Hell. They have every, they, I think they have every one of those installments. So that is amazing. I got to start watching those. I got to watch Goonies. I got to watch Rosemary's Baby, Uncle Peckerhead. A lot of, lot of things. My, my one recommendation of the week is this movie called The Opening Act. The Opening Act. It's written and directed by Steve Byrne. He is an Asian-American Okay. And the lead actor is this guy. I don't know if you guys watch, watched Silicon Valley, Jimmy O. Yang. He is the lead in the opening act. He, he's very good in this movie. He plays this stand-up comic. This just newbie stand-up comic who really, um, yeah, his name's Will. Will played by Jimmy O. Yang. Will, he quits his dead end job. His boss, by the way, is Bill Burr. Pretty funny cameo by Bill Burr. Uh. He quits his job. He decides to go on an MC gig. I forgot where it was. Um, he goes cross country to become an MC for a, like a, a stand-up comedy club for the weekend, and he ends up being serving as the opening act for uh, Cedric the Entertainer, who plays this this other comic, this legendary comic in the film. It's a very good movie. And what's interesting about this, and what gets my goat, is as this, I don't know if you guys like stand-up comedy. It's very it's a very entertaining look at the ups and downs of the business. But it's also very funny. You see a lot of people doing their stand-up act in the film. And you see also Jimmy O. Yang. He's not, the, he's not Jimmy O. Yang right now where he's an experienced comic. He's playing Will, a guy who's still inexperienced, still learning the ropes. So you get to see him bomb a little bit in the movie, which is tough to watch. But this movie is really entertaining and cool and fun to watch. But the lead story is, for me, being Asian-American, it's directed by an Asian-American and it stars an Asian. And I interviewed Steve Byrne recently – Bruce, you saw the video. Mm-hmm. None of the major media mar- markets are, are picking this movie up as far as just even giving an, granting an interview. I was thinking just on a stats level, I was going to ask you guys, I've been, I've, I've been doing interviews and reviewing films since 1991. I can't remember. And I've seen hundreds of movies, maybe thousands because of my job, not, on, not including the movies I watch. I can count on just one hand, maybe at the most films starring an Asian actor or Asian American actor that does has nothing to do with Taekwondo. Yeah. Futuristic sci-fi that's made in America. They're, they're great about like importing them in, but made in America, made in America. Yeah. So the double duty for me was the people involved in this movie. Cool. And the stats that, yeah, it's an Asian in the lead, Asian male in the lead were, were, were basically invisible as far as, you know, minority representation in cinema. I'm sure it's getting a little bit better in television, of course, but in cinema, very, very invisible. 
So I'm surprised that this movie isn't getting a lot more run. It hits VOD digital and select theaters October 16th. Aside from that minority representation thing, it's just a cool movie to watch. Cedric the Entertainer and Jimmy O. Yang are very good. Cedric plays the, the mentor who put kind of, in a way, reluctantly takes a kid under his wing. And I loved a lot of their real scenes together. And I just really enjoyed this movie. It's an indie film by Steve Byrne. Really well done film. And I'm not just praising it because the dude's Asian. I'm so happy to actually endorse this film as a very good movie. So the opening act, little, little, it did really piss me off when I interviewed him and for him to tell me that it's, it's not getting picked up by the major outlets. Uh, I don't, Bruce, do you have any idea why? I mean, it just seems like a no brainer to, to spotlight this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you know, we don't, we go down the line on how short sighted Hollywood is about figuring out who to market to. It takes them, they're usually 20 years behind the times and figuring out that they've got markets and that people will watch movies that are not necessarily of the, or, you know, the origin of the person in the movie, you know, what, what's up with that? Uh, I was just going to, I was actually going to plug your interview. I think your interview was really good. If you're not a cinematics uh, Patreon member, maybe you should do that because there's a bunch of things that Greg has done over there. But I especially felt like you kind of went a little deeper on this one than you sometimes do, which I would just say, do more of that. I mean, if they'll let you, I mean, a lot of times you're limited in how long you talk to people, but he obviously was vibing with the conversation and just, you just, there was a point where it stopped becoming, let's talk about the movie. And it started just becoming talking. And that was really fascinating. I thought so. Don't you tell me how to interview people, Bruce. Don't I'm telling you how to interview people. <laughs> Thank you so much. For the praise. Until you've watched one Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> Fair enough. One. Fair enough. There's like 20 of them out there. Just watch one. Shots fired. And, and I, I will take those shots until I start actually watching some of these movies for <laughs> real. Thank you, Bruce Perky, for those very, very kind words. Okay, that's enough. We had, we've had a lot. This was a long, meaty episode. I blame Aaron Sorkin and Eric Sorkin for leading us <laughs> off with such a meaty film. That said, Eric Sorkin Holmes, do you have anything to, to say? Lead us out. A great interviewer. Don't hit me. No. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, so going to uh, send out the intensity, but I got sick the other day, so I didn't get to that. But uh, tomorrow, Joe Bridges from Mainville, Ohio, will be the one getting the intensity DVD. And I don't know how quick the post office works, but I'm guessing by the time this comes out, and Joe, if you're listening, by the time this comes out, you should either have it or it should be on your way within a day or two. And be sure to, uh, after you watch it, you know, as we said, fill out the thing, write your name, send it to someone else, and maybe hit up the Cinematics Facebook page and, uh, yeah, let us know what you thought of it. Maybe take a picture of you with the DVD as Bruce suggested, and uh, let's see if we can get this living, breathing movie to live and breathe. Or maybe it'll sit and collect dust at Joe Bridges' house from now until eternity. But we'll see what happens. Well, Joe, Joseph Bridges, thank you so much for taking part in this Intensity DVD, Eric Holmes DVD letter chain thing that he's doing. I think that's a really great idea. Joseph Bridges, he's a very big contributor to our Cinematics Facebook group. Listeners, please join our group if you want to keep this conversation going as far as movie picks, movie recommendations. It's a really cool community. We're almost closing in on 500 members. I think selfishly, I 
you know, we have some really great movie insights and daily recommendations and all that stuff from the members. They do such an incredible job. I am a little bit of a, well, I, what's, what's the term, Bruce? A uh, little bit of a, well, what, uh, not, not shyster. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy. I'm, I'm the guy who, I'm the Handsome dude who guy? has all these Blu-rays and DVDs. I go to Dollar Tree stores. That's some every- motherfucker. That's what you are, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do all these. And smart and funny. You can't oh. say it. You can't be it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I give away every week one or two, uh, two Blu- Blu-rays or DVDs to our members, random members. If you are a member of our Cinematics Facebook group, there's that little caveat, little cool thing to join. Join it up. Increase our community. I love movies. We all live for movies. Uh, Cinematics Facebook group. Again, Rusto Meyer, Bruce Porky. Anything you want to plug, Bruce, other than your channel? Anything else? No. Oh, yeah. I want you to, I want to plug the uh, next thing you're going to listen to, which is going to be us talking all about mammoths. Now, David Mamet, David Mamet, writer, director of Red Belt House of Games. We will be getting to that very soon. Uh, here's my little teaser, folks, before we head on to the to this next episode. David Mamet sucks. Just kidding. Eric Sorkin, Holmes. I was just joking. I, I wanted to see, to see you have that sour face. Listeners, thank you so much for your support. Keep supporting me, Bruce Berkey, Eric Holmes, for Find Your Film. We will see you guys next week or whenever you feel like listening to David Mamet. Talk to you guys later. Bye.